Hey y'all, hope you're doing well. Brett Maddox here and welcome to episode number eight of the Potokesis podcast. We'll be starting in just a moment. I did want to just give a few minutes here at the front end to just say a very special thank you to Dr. Justice Hunter of United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, for joining us for some really important questions about John Wesley, um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and some just great conversations about the church and uh, the future of the church and just some good stuff. So thank you, Justice, for coming on board and, and being with us. And Potecumens, you're going you're gonna to love this episode. Um, you're going to want to check out his and Phil Talon's uh, newest work that's coming out this fall from Seedbed called The Absolute Basics of the Wesleyan Way. Uh, you may be familiar with Phil. Phil Talon wrote a book, uh, uh, a resource a few years ago called The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith um, that has been very, very um, popular among churches as a, as a catechetical tool for teaching the faith uh, to kids and adults alike. It's an awesome resource. And You'll be able to see links to those resources as well as some others in our show notes at potechesis.com. And I do want to just draw your attention to the website, potechesis.com. We do put show notes in. Um, you'll see them uh, all over on Apple and wherever you get your um, wherever you get your, uh, your your podcast. But those are just um, um, those are. Uh, not those are shorter uh, show notes. The the extended show notes with all the links to the resources that we talk about in each episode is at potechesis.com. and so you'll want to check that out. Uh, we are so grateful for your continued support of the Potechesis podcast, and uh, we look forward uh, to continuing to to, uh, to with this venture, with this project um, along with you. Tell your friends, tell your family, let them know that we're here, and they can find us anywhere, as you know. And so uh, without further delay, we're going to go ahead and start episode eight of the Potechesis podcast with a special guest, Dr. Justice Hunter. Potechumens, welcome to another episode of the Potechesis podcast. I am Brett Maddox, your best friend, your pastor, your, your, your confidant, whoever you want me to be, I am that man, and I am coming to you um, with this episode. And I would like to introduce to you uh, the two smartest men that we know, the, 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 the two people who bring uh, such joy to our lives, the two men who, who speak truth and nothing but truth, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow, our co-host. How are y'all doing, guys? Well, my oh, head is sufficiently to... big now. This I'm is... going to have to pay you my $10 later, man. That was, that was one heck of an intro. Hey, that's what I did. I thought about introing y'all as uh, the two founders of the 80s Christian hair metal band Paladin, but anyway, we'll probably do that next time. So I'll write a I'll write a tune for that one. <laughs> you, that, you should. You got to get great. that. You got to get the hair metal scream in too. There, you know, that, <laughs> so to go with that. Absolutely. We um, just oh, have oh. a running apology for everybody who listens, but <laughs> absolutely. 
Um, also, we're joined today, we have a special guest, Dr. Justice Hunter, who's the Assistant Professor of Church History at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, where he teaches church history and theology. He's also the author of If Adam Had Not Sinned, The Reason for the Incarnation from Angelum to Scotus, and with Phil Talon, The Absolute Basics of the Wesleyan Way, which will be coming out sometime in the fall through Seedbed. Um, we're excited to have Justice with us. Justice, welcome to the Podakesis Podcast. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. So uh, today we've got a lot going on. We're going to be talking about uh, two questions in the Westminster Catechism that John Wesley struck out. Whoa! He, he, he took it out. He which had is a bold, the, Whoa! Yes, it was a bold maneuver because you've got this catechism. That's a bold move, Cotton. <laughs> he's got you've got this catechism that the Church of England had been using for 200 years prior to John Wesley coming up and he says these two questions gone they've got to be gone they got out to be gone. of it gone and so um, he, he strikes them out but what we're going to do is we're going to talk about these questions perhaps why he struck them out and um, and then go from there please know that uh, one of the things that we don't want to get into is um, a discussion of why one, branch of Christianity or one think theological thinking of Christianity is superior to another theological thinking of Christianity. Uh, but what we do want to talk about are some of the difference between Wesleyans and Calvinist and why it matters, because those differences do matter. Um, but we can be part of the entire body of Christ and, and still have these differences. So we'll talk more about that in a moment. But yes, we're going to deal with two questions, and those are questions seven and eight within the Westminster Catechism. Question number seven is what, uh, let me see, pull it up here. What are the decrees of God? And uh, uh, that answer, uh, does uh, Jim, Alan, do y'all want to take that answer for me? Me, me, me let hey, me. Alan Kaysen, take the answer. Uh, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, by which for his own glory, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass and so um, that was a fine reading of that question, by the way, there, um, Alan. And then, Jim, if you'll take uh, the answer to question eight, which is, how does God execute those decrees? Well, pre-Wesley's revision, it read, God executes his decrees in the works of creation in providence. Awesome, awesome. So uh, when we talk about decrees here, what... Um, I just want there, there's a lot going on about the decree. Oh, there's a lot going um, on. There's a lot we'll going ease on here. into it. But for our discussion, what we're talking about is the idea of predestination or did God choose a certain select group of people for eternity, for, for, for salvation, and then a certain group of people uh, for damnation, for hell, at, before, at, foreordained at the beginning, before the beginning of, of creation itself. Uh, we call this predestination. Sometimes you'll hear this called Calvinism because of a reformer named John Calvin who would take some teachings, I think, if I remember my church history right, and Justice, you can help me, from Augustine, and, and would take that in and to kind of just um, amplify that. And then his followers, some people like Beza and others, would amplify it even more and more and more, um, would take that and teach that. And so uh, uh, so we're going to be talking about, you know, what does God do and when did he decree um, basically heaven for those who would be saved and hell for those who would be damned? And, and what does that mean and why does it matter that we have these differences between what Wesley um, taught and what Calvin taught? That's going to be a big, big discussion. Uh, super exciting as an opportunity to just 
celebrate what's going on in the body of Christ and really talk about what God does. Hey, can I tell you all a story? Yes, please. All right. This is almost as good as the story from when I met Patrick Stewart. Yes, Jean-Luc Picard and <laughs> Professor X. What? How do London. I not know this story? Well, eight? I was starstruck that day, but this story is actually a little bit better. I was on Twitter one night. Yes. <laughs> and you all know how much I love, we all love the absolute basics of the Christian faith. Oh, yeah. We're basic. excited yeah. we were about yeah. the news of the upcoming absolute basics of the Wesleyan way. In fact, we were texting each other the moment the pre-orders went live. So yes. lo and behold, I'm Wesleyan on Twitter nerds. one night. Yeah, Wesleyan nerds. And I've been following uh, a couple of wonderful, wonderful Wesleyan scholars. Uh, one put out a, a note that said, hey, we, Phil Talon and I, Justice Hunter, the authors and creators of the Absolute Basics of the Wesleyan Way, we'll go on any podcast, no matter how small. And I thought, well, I know my mom listens, and my wife listens when I, when I complain that she doesn't, and, and Allison and five other people. Yes. Uh, we qualify. For a small so, podcast, no, long, yes. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. But uh, long story short, um, Justice, this has been, uh, we've been really looking forward to talking to you about the absolute basics of the Wesleyan way. I think that the absolute basics of the Christian faith, mm -hmm. the beginning of this franchise, yeah. um, it, it has been so influential in me and uh, my ministry teaching not only children, which you would think with animated right. videos that that would be important, but with, I taught a group of older adults yeah. um, over the entire lesson, lesson of that, um, to go over the basics and be just drawn in. And now we get to talk about the Wesleyan way. I'm yeah. excited that you're here. I wonder, can, yeah. can you just tell us about how this project yeah, came exactly. about and a little oh, bit yeah. about it? And then well, we're just going to talk all over it as a way of talking about Wesley's distinctives. Sure. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, your, your, your memory is not quite exact. Phil was the one who promised we would come on any podcast, no matter how small. And then when we booked them, he said, well, you know, I've got to do chairing, chairing. Oh. You know, I don't know what that oh. means. Oh, he's, he's probably, the chair he's, of some department. Yeah, he's the chair of, of some, you know, I think the apologetics <laughs> department at Houston Baptist. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's writing memos tonight or, or you know, shopping for office chairs. Or Wait, something. he told me he was golfing. Yeah, that's, that's or something. Yeah, right. That sounds pretty likely whining and dining whatever chairs do they're out and about doing that and i'm here so that's he robes uh, you in, and he robes you into this yeah yes, exactly absolutely right. Exactly right which is by kind the of way i never thought that a chair of a department would have to pick out their own chair i figured one would be provided for them well i think that they would but you know the these chairs they tend to like their chair they, they yes. care about the chairs yeah. you know? <laughs> they can't leave that important decision to just anyone right fair enough fair enough uh, may not be nice enough in, in certain ways anyway uh all right, I'll stop bagging on Phil. <laughs> yeah, so Phil, so Phil, you know, he he has this way of sort of volunteering us for things and then not showing up when the work needs to happen. So, sort of a similar thing happened with this book. He, I remember sitting in a restaurant with him and he said, you know, let's let's do this book together. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do it. And then he's like, okay, well, you 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 write it first, and then I'll I'll, I'll shepherd it from that point. You know, um, <laughs> it it, uh, it wasn't quite that bad, but the 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 absolute basic of the Christian faith was so successful. Phil was shocked by this. He wrote that for his church when he was the director of student ministries. 
and just as a because he didn't like anything he could find for confirmation there right. and and you know people saw his youtube videos he had made with this great artist and seedbed said hey we'd like to kind of produce that ourselves and sell it and and now we have a franchise as you guys put it so that's kind of how things came together he brought me on board and uh and I kind of provided some of the church history material. He's a, he's a theologian. And then we worked together on the theology sections and practices. And so that's how it came together. Cool. And, and the way, and, and that's so great. And I love the way y'all uh, set this up. I mean, it is um, because we were talking about Wesley, Wesleyanism. It, it, it's you, you get a quick history of who John Wesley is. Mm -hmm. uh, you get what he taught and then what we do as Wesleyans. If you're a Wesleyan, these are some of the things that you do that are important. That yep. you do so. I, I love the way you set that up and way y'all uh, framed framed this uh, with us. I do think it's important for us to take just a moment if we're going to talk about, you know, why Wesley would do something like strike out mm -hmm. something that's Calvinistic, um, and kind of get a, an idea of his thinking through this. We probably need to briefly talk a little bit about who John Wesley is, and um, and, and the type of per who who influenced him, why he why he was the the person he was. And actually this book, reading this kind of pre-publication uh, piece that you sent to us, uh, Justice, um, it actually spoke to me in a way that I hadn't thought about. And that is particular when we get to this piece in just a second, his Georgia trip. Yeah, I've always taught that the Georgia piece was just an abject failure. Yeah. And um, we see that. And in we fact, live in Georgia and we take that personally. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we do. But uh, but I teach it in yeah. such a way, uh, especially when we're in Savannah, when I take a confirmation class to Savannah mm -hmm. and we go by the, the John Wesley statue. Is it at Reynolds Square or whatever, whichever square it is uh, there in Savannah? Um, I say, you know, he was a failure here. Yeah. He goes back home. God gets a hold of him. And then we're still talking about him yeah. 300 years later. So. Yeah. You know, we can be a failure in the moment, but in God's eyes, with God's hand on us, there's true victory and glory there. I talk about that, but then y'all, y'all speak to that. Maybe Georgia wasn't the failure, yeah. or at least footnote. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, was, I really actually struggle with these pat this passage. Um, you write these things. You know, it's so concise, so short. You're really focused on communicating to to an audience, but you know, we really wanted to write something that was scholarly substantiated. You know, right? Um, and, and something that. One goal for us was my, my good friend at, at uh, Candler, Kevin Watson. Yeah. I, I wanted to write something that Kevin would read and he would say, hey, yeah, this this is something that, you know, I, I don't have to sort of embarrassingly hand to someone. Right. So I actually ended up, I ended up sharing the chapters with Kevin. He read them over and gave me some suggestions, including on this this point, which hmm. which I tried to um, – I, I tried to massage the right way, but I could get till I finally got it happy. And he was, he, he liked it as well. The insight really is, I think Jordan Hammonds, who's a scholar at the, at uh, Manchester mm -hmm. in, in, um, in the UK. And, and Jordan has shown basically, that's right. That, that while in a certain sense, what Wesley's trip to Georgia didn't go as he had hoped, things right. didn't go as he had hoped. And he does say just sort of dismal things and reflecting on it later in his life. You can see striking consistencies between what he did in Georgia and what he continued to do after the fact. And that was something we really wanted to bring into the book was this, this idea that, look, while Wesley had this transformative experience uh, at Aldersgate, he often talks about when his heart is strangely warmed, the common phrase we, we talk about. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't as if that was, a, he, he then dumped everything that came before. Instead, he kind of understood its importance in a deeper right. way. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. That's that's a good insight for the for the Georgia experience. Yeah, and and that 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 change when reading that, um, I've actually ordered that book. Mm. That uh, <laughs> because Great. that's when I teach Wesley. Yeah. Um. So you know, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a professional theolo- uh, hist- uh, historian, church historian, but because of the work I'm doing in my my doctoral work now, I do a lot of reading in it, mm-hmm. and um, so I try to be as as accurate as I can, but. And when I teach Wesley, I always teach. Yeah. Georgia was a. I mean, Jim and Alan, when y'all teach, what were, did, were y'all falling in that same trap as well? Well, no, because see, Brett, we're usually right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. There's so much that really goes on there, and and I, you know what? There's things that, as I as I read through uh, some of the chapters here, and Brett, you picked up on earlier. Um, sometimes our failures are where God works the most. And I think about, because I've currently got a fascination with the Moravians, uh, Count Zinzendorf and his whole crew. um, And his experiences there um, were, I think, so formative in his theology and his personal faith and what he taught. Um, And I love how it's described a little bit in, in Absolute Basics of the Wesleyan Way, um, that he needed faith and the gateway to faith is repentance. Mm-hmm. And um, that leads him on to a real lively faith. And that's really a hallmark of what Wesley was bringing about. Yeah. All of the organizing and method that we like to make fun of him about um, really was over time a way to help people come alive in that faith. Right. I love, uh, can I, can I gush on the, a uh, uh, particular part of the book though that i yeah, love yeah um <laughs> so it turned there's a there's a discussion that i'm so glad that we're going to get to teach students and adults in a really concise and engaging way it ta- it's, says that wesley had the form of godliness and not the power so it, the absolute basics takes a great number of examples mm. of here are some things that have formed like you could have a house Yep. But until you move into it, you don't have a home. Yeah. Or you could have the form of a remote control car. That's one of the <laughs> ones that keeps popping up. Yep. Um, but then you, without the power, it doesn't work. And though it's those kinds of illustrations that make it, one, they speak. Yeah. And two, they're so engaging to take what uh, is really like an 18th century dude and yeah. his archaic English and helps it come to life in a way that we can really understand. Well, yeah, I think what's great is, um, like I think we've already mentioned, uh, I taught this first to a group of adults, yeah. long-time church members, mm-hmm. and they, I'm, I'm talking about the um, the absolute basis of the Christian faith. Right. They love, No, he's already taught this. He just... No, <laughs> yeah, no, right. I took... I took <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Um, they, one, they love the videos, yeah. And and then they just love the content because it's stuff that frankly we don't teach enough mm-hmm. in the church. And yeah. then the same is true with the basics of of the Wesleyan way. We don't teach enough of Wesley and right. um, his history and, yeah. and which is our history and right. and all that he taught and um, you know the distinctives of Wesleyanism. Right. So I I'm so excited. To yeah, teach this. I'm I really so think it's to important it. to give people a sense of their heritage and tradition and a sense of responsibility for it, you know, oh, they, wow. they have to shepherd and carry on with them. Um, I know for me, that's been terribly important. I mean, I'm, I'm probably like, I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm, 
I live in Dayton, Ohio. All my roots are in Alabama. My family's spread all over the place, mm. brother in China. You know, what is my tradition? What's my heritage? I need some sense of connection to the past. And some of what we wanted to do in the book is to give people a sense, not just of, of where all the stuff that they experience in a, in a Methodist or a Wesleyan church comes from. And we kind of wanted to kind of pull the curtain back, show what kind of the skeleton logic was for a lot of what they experienced, but we also wanted to in, endow them with a sense of responsibility to this heritage. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's pretty, I think that's really important. I mean, I have four kids. I think about this a lot. So. Mm. No, I, I think that's, in fact, I, the, the whole purpose behind the Podakesis podcast, what Christians believe and why it matters is the tradition. Like there's a rich 2000 year, even longer with the Judeo piece of this mm-hmm. tradition that forms who we are today. Yeah. Or, or I should say, should form who we are to, today. And uh, so a little bit real quick, y'all can look up a quick Wesley history online. You can Google it. There's some good stuff there. But Wesley was born, I think, in what, 1703? Is that right? 1703, 1702. Um, and he if you was hear a voiceover dub, yes. that's Brett correcting himself in post. <laughs> um, I know he died in 1791, so I know that much. But he... Um, um, he was uh, he he was born. He um, had uh, a lot of brothers and sisters. A lot of brothers and sisters. Um, he was born a, a preacher's kid. His dad Samuel was an Anglican priest. Um, his mom uh, Susanna was this wonderful woman who taught um, the, all the kids. He, she schooled all the kids, and she used uh, the Christian tradition, scripture, all that to teach them how to read, teach them, just to form them into who they were. Um, so there were a lot of brothers and sisters. There were actually a lot of brothers and sisters who passed away um, because, you know, since 1700s. And I mean, it just is what it my is. My favorite, um, so, sorry, Brett, my favorite yeah, Susanna Wesley story is the fact of her, whenever she would put over her apron over her head, um, the kids knew not to mess with her, that she was praying. Mm-hmm. She was having her quiet time. That's how she, there were so many kids yep. that yeah. she had to, um, you know, um, she had to make a room. She had to make room. She had to make time. <laughs> and uh, whenever the kids saw her with her apron over her head, they knew yeah. not to mess with mama. That's right. Um, she was praying. <laughs> get an apron. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I could use an apron. I know, right? Let me get. Well, I need to find something. But uh, I just think. Well, I mean, in a testimony of. I mean, we can. We can. We can find that moment anywhere. Um, but anyways, yeah, that was ab- one of my favorite ab- things. Absolutely, uh, just a fan. F- fascinating fascinating woman um when he when wesley was a young child maybe four five six years old a fire breaks out in the parsonage um the story goes that the parishioners come in make a human ladder pull him out of the top um and susanna would say you know god had marked him because as a as a brand plucked out of the fire using a passage out of zechariah um, that just he um, that god had marked uh, what john for some something real special in his life. Um, John was a bright guy. He would end up uh, going off to um, college uh, to Oxford and um, he would become a fellow teaching fellow there. He would teach Greek and Hebrew. um, And he was just a really smart guy. He was also a a guy who uh, that form of righteousness, that form of holiness that uh, uh, he he would try to have that um, through a society called the uh, what which would be called the Methodist as a derisive uh, statement, but a gr- group of Those people who would Methodist, grow, yeah, who would get together and they would formally they would pray and serve and 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 do what they needed to do, all all means of trying to 
practice holiness or righteousness in their lives to, to reach for something. And, and Wesley was, if you read his journals, um, Wesley was dealing with a lot of kind of internal conflict within himself. And he would use this kind of this Methodist society um, as a means of trying to deal with those issues. And, and so there was some emptiness there, um, not really tr- kind of like a flag flipping, flapping in the wind. He, he was, he didn't have any direction in his life. And so he eventually would answer the call from James Oglethorpe to go to uh, Georgia for about 18 woo, months woo. and come to Savannah <laughs> and just uh, down the road from um, Alan and Jim, right? And, uh, and so, and then um, he would uh, come as a missionary to the Native Americans and as the preacher to the Georgia colony there in Savannah. Um, but all that would not go as planned. Um, and, uh, and there would be some issues there with a woman he fell in love with and just all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, eventually he would come back. And, um, one of the big pieces of that story is on his way to Georgia, there was a, some major storms in the Atlantic. And, um, one of the big storms that hit, uh, scared him to half to death and he thought he was going to die. And he didn't like the way the fear rose up in him. And he would see a group of Christians, uh, Germans, uh, German pietists called the Moravians that um, uh, Jim talked about just a moment ago. And they were singing and praying and praising God during the storm. And he, that just kept being on his mind. And Was so, that the first hurricane party? At least post-Reformation. Yeah, oh, okay. okay. The first yeah. post-Reformation <laughs> hurricane party. So um, I feel like we need the clay ride. Uh, yeah, I know. Here Justice, have you seen you? You know clay ride, don't you? I have no idea what you're talking. Okay, oh my well, gosh. you know what? You thought you were coming on. We're putting here. this in the show notes. There's a YouTube. It's on video. YouTube. It's on We've YouTube. got a I'm gift for ride. you. Boy, do we have a gift for oh, you? Yes. Oh, I have no idea. It's a, it's a story so clay, of playwright is Methodist. a claymation. Um, from what the 70s? Yes. Claymation really? history of Methodism. I just googled playwright. Yes. yes, on point. Oh yes. man, I did not. Just take I did a not, moment. I did not come and across this be, in my research. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> that might be the absolute basics of the Wesleyan Way. Might be the only other <laughs> animated. Um, so animated basically, you guys Wesley. are doing a second edition of Playwright. <laughs> no, what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at, is where have we been, Wesleyans? We haven't been putting out content. Praise yep. the Lord, Phil yep. and Justice. Y'all are helping the yes, Wesleyan Methodist Church. I didn't even think about it. That's awesome. <laughs> Clay Rod. <laughs> I get my kids on. Uh, my, my, my sons do do this Lego stop animation stuff. Yes. Yes. Some of this yes. next time. That's hilarious. Absolutely. Well, when Wesley comes back to England after the stuff going on in Georgia, he would eventually, after some doubting of his faith and his calling as a pastor, he would have an experience on May 24th, 1738, at a Bible study led by some German Moravians, That, uh, which, interesting, these guys just keep popping up in his life, just over and over and over again. And um, reading from the preface of the Book of Romans, uh, a commentary, a preface of the commentary of Book of Romans written by Martin Luther, um, Wesley would say he felt like his heart was strangely warm, that um, God had forgiven him of his sins, and that he was a child of God, and he was assured of that. That word assurance pops up in that in, that in the journal. And so then from that day forward, Wesley's on a mission. Now, like a, a mission that, yes. I have got to pause here because I was looking through the pre-publication copy. Justice 
who who came up with the goose illustration? <laughs> you don't even have to admit or not admit that. Yeah. So, Brett, yeah. what you're talking about, you even mentioned like uh, not per not having purpose to having purpose. Yeah. And what I love so much about what y'all have done is bring these illustrations. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that was that was uh, that that was one of my favorite my favorite metaphors we sort of found. Phil has this basic formula. He 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 developed the whole vision of the thing. I just kind of read the absolute basics of the West of the Christian faith and tried to reproduce that uh, in talking about the Wesleyan way. And one thing I think he he really tried to do in that first book, and we wanted to continue was you basically really focus in on one key idea. You got to make it a, a substantive one, and you got to get it right in your head. And then you find a couple different images to explain it. And what that does is that it, it gives it equips a leader to have to have content that's going to be excellent and open the discussion in the right direction, but also can be explored. And so we have this image of the goose that recurs a little bit. I think, um, and we started playing with it, and it really really works nicely because you've got the goose. You know, the goose comes out of the egg. The goose is kind of waddling around and can't quite, you know doesn't doesn't know why it has these this odd body it doesn't make any sense to it until it steps out on the water right and then it realizes oh that's why my why i'm so flat on the bottom and i have these little these little uh two legs that are small they can they can they they're with webbed feet they can they can kind of glide me across the water i think that is a pretty good image for for what happens when we find um when when god comes to us you know and she tells us, gives us purpose in our life. Oh, now I now I understand what what this body was for, and what these relationships were for, and what uh, what this job was for. And but but then you know the cool thing about the goose is also you know the goose has wings that have no real purpose uh, when you're on the water. But then you, maybe buoyancy. I don't know. I don't know that much about geese. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but Alan is our resident goose yeah, expert. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, we'll clarify. Then the then the goose realizes, you know, oh, I can fly. Well, I never mm -hmm. never would have thought that, and the body is actually perfectly suited to this sort of activity. So, uh, I think it's a pretty good image for for what we are all in 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 potency. I don't know. I well, these, these Latin phrases come to me. potentially. Uh, we have we we have much more purpose than we realize. We might realize when on the face of it. And I like that because you know I think that people of all ages can experience that. Like I don't know what this is for, just like the little uh, baby goose mm -hmm. um, until you come into it. Uh, Brett, you were, had something to share. I was going to say, and and you know, the, let's just go all the way back to the beginning of the Westminster Catechism. What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, the way we find that out. Like it's this, yeah. it's this, it's, it's, what is this for? What is this body for? What is this mind for? It's amazing how, when God gets a hold of us, then there's, here's what this is for. Yeah. This mm. is how we glorify God. This is how we enjoy him forever. And so, uh, yeah, that's a great analogy. Love and it. another, uh, the goose pops up again and the remote control car in the house, it's also fun. But um, when in the teaching, we're talking about salvation how we commonly talk about salvation as a point of justification mm -hmm. or being forgiven for our sins. But the way that Wesley would talk about salvation is that whole process from egg to flying, soaring goose. Right. 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 That's right. Right. Um, that's maybe, uh, I don't know the context that everybody lives in, but that's a big concept in the areas that I've been serving that are predominantly justification as salvation yeah. uh, yeah. places. Yeah.
Now, right. is that something throughout history that is this a new thing that we're dealing with now where this is a uh, salvation is the whole scope of Christ's work is a new thing for us? Yeah, well, I mean, I, so I think, you know, most of the time I read Latin texts of the Middle Ages and someone, yeah, right? now I'm playing. Thank you for doing that for the church. Yeah, though, right. That's right. Well, I, I do it out of curiosity mostly, but um, I'm glad the church benefits. Uh, the the whenever whenever someone talks about justification, I remember reading Thomas Aquinas, and um, and real, I came to realize really when he when he talks about justifying grace, he's talking about about the entire process whereby God makes you uh, finally just, which ends terminates when we are in heaven beholding God, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that was very, that was very common over time, you know, things happen and eventually this sort of fixated fixa- fixation on a particular moment, sort of typically a crisis moment. moment. And this is just sort of, I think the ill-begotten child of, of the great awakening probably is what this yeah. is. And it's, and it's so saturated in our, in our culture, you know, right. um, that it's, it's, it's dominant everywhere. That, that you go. And I think that's exactly the, why Wesley is really a, a valuable voice in, in the present, present day. Absolutely. And we could see that, um, you know, as you see his, his transformational moment in 1738 and what would end up happening post that, where um, he would have opportunity to do things that were uncomfortable to him, preaching mm-hmm. outside, um, doing these things, teaming up with others who were also within that early holiness club, the Methodist, like George Whitfield, um, to to I mean it seems like there was this movement of the spirit at that time um, in England that was grabbing a hold of Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley and others for a particular moment, and that it wasn't just a okay now you're saved let's move on from there and live our lives no now we're saved let the, the kingdom of God is here and so let's let's move forward with this and so you get the advent of i guess what would be modern day sunday school classes and you would get um that would were established as a means of teaching literacy to the poor and you've got uh, uh, uh bread lines and and sandwiches being made and 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 whatnot and the coal mines and whatnot so the gospel's being preached on the stump but then they're also feeding the hungry the hungry workers in those and going to the people who the established church just wasn't going to Mm-hmm. and wasn't even welcoming into their doors. And so you've got this Anglican, this high church guy who is holding to this form, but now there's life to it and there's purpose behind it. And, and he's, he's moving on with this and would carry on throughout the rest of his life as a means of John of teaching preachers, um, um, doing things. Uh, one of the most fascinating things in William Abraham's book mm-hmm. is um, how he would you know, Wesley was a good Anglican man, like that, that was, but he would do things that were extraordinary to him, extraordinary to him. Yeah. Um, he had this, uh, Abraham talks about him bringing in this uh, Greek Orthodox guy, yeah. priest, to ordain preachers because the Anglican church wouldn't do it. And then finally, he would kind of have a falling out with this guy. And so he started doing a sort of ordination thing himself. These are things that were not, you don't do this. It'd be like Alan and Jim and I going out and ordaining people to carry out, to do, the, the bishop would have us in, in his office real we're not, quick. We're not supposed to. I ordain to. you as a pot of human. <laughs> as a pot of human. <laughs> yeah, as a pot of human. That's what we, yeah, that's I what like we'll it. Um, but Wesley was doing things that were, um, I remember in a book I was reading about women, menace, women preachers and Wesley um, uh, giving his, his uh, blessing on women preachers. 
And in one of the letters he wrote to a woman, um, he, he wrote, you know, in ordinary times, this shouldn't be, but in, these are extraordinary times, and so we will do this. So in that, in that work, in that letter he was writing, you could see this wrestling that was going on that he knew God was doing something that was, he didn't want to stifle it. And even if it made him uncomfortable, he knew God was doing something. And the reason he knew God was doing something extraordinary is because he did it in, in him. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, th- this is a f- famous tension between the Wesley brothers, you know, Sean and Charles. Yeah. Charles yeah. was not comfortable with a lot of John's propensity to kind of leap first and uh, <laughs> and figure it out, you know, right. afterwards. And I think that, you know, the Wesleyan tradition has kind of lived lived on in that legacy. There, there's these two tensions, um, poles maybe, per- perhaps. And, you know, I think uh, I- I'm kind of, part part of what I wanted to argue was that actually the forms are really important and, and Wesley didn't really revolutionize them that wildly, yeah. except of course, these occasions you're talking about. Yeah. Even the field preaching, you know, is sort of, he sort of doesn't care about maintaining respectability, right? But, mm-hmm. but the good order of the church, he, he did care about and it caused him quite a lot of turmoil. It did, yeah. uh, and of course, Charles would never do it. So <laughs> it's sort of like, uh, it's a, it's an interesting piece of our legacy that, that I think is really bears reflecting on. You well, know, in the in the book, you talk you do talk about the forms um, and how even after he has his alders get experience, he continues with structure. Uh, and two examples that you give one is is a schedule in his journal, like a yeah. daily diary. What yeah. kinds of stuff are we talking about that Wesley was methodical about doing in his day? Yeah, I mean, you read these journal entries, and they're kind of wild. They 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 sound first of all, they sound pretty boring to me, frankly. I mean, so many hours of his day spent in in holy conversation, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> this that means this. this, this, that, this. He oh, was okay. podcasting. That's well, what this he isn't so bad. I don't think he was podcasting. <laughs> um, the uh, the and in prayer, he spent. You know, he woke. He rose early. He consistently rose early. Prayed. We're talking. Prayed and read a scripture hours. Uh, mm-hmm. at the start of each day. And then he went about his business, which is mostly involved traveling around and uh, taking care of people's souls and taking care of the people who are taking care of other people's souls, uh, going to worship, prayer meetings, spiritual reading, and, you know, catching up on correspondence and then crash, crash, you know, at a reasonable hour, maybe, and get up and do it again the next day. And he was absolutely methodical. You, you get the sense reading the journals no moment was wasted in his life. Um, it's really- but, but all that would say, too, there were certain things that suffered because of that. Uh, his marriage. Um, That's right. And, um, and some other relationships. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. That he would have had. He would have. Um, you know, the marriage thing is an interesting thing because, you know, tr- it w- Charles would say that he never should have gotten married. And right. um, uh, his the, the craziest piece about the marriage is they, he and his wife were separated for a number of years and she would die and he didn't even go to the funeral. Like there right. was this just mm. kind of crazy, crazy relationship that yeah. they, they had there. But he also had these falling outs with some of his best friends because of this. One particular one would be George Whitfield. Yeah. And yeah. it would be a falling out over theology. Whitfield's a Calvinist dealing, you know, who would affirm question seven and eight mm-hmm. of the Westminster mm-hmm. Catechism, mm-hmm. where um, John would not be in more on an Arminian side. Um, I should put a pin in that and just say, you know, Arminian mean, coming from uh, 
a guy named Arminius in the, I think, 1500s, uh, maybe early 1600s, um, uh, during the Reformation period, who was kind of, he, he, you know, if Calvin was talking about um, predestination, uh, Arminius would be talking about, very crudely would be, to talk about this would be more on the free will. This, we, we do have a choice to make in, in, decide, in choosing God. Um, so uh, we can talk more about that later. But, yeah. but with, with, yeah, one, Whitfield... One thing, one thing that's interesting about this, I thought, was, as I was reading, I, I did read, uh, yeah. I, I'm not an expert on that, but I did read through those questions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was trying to think whether or not, why was Wesley editing these out? Because on the face of them, if you look later on, he will take out things that are about, you know, the election of individuals to heaven and hell, right. which sort of overrun the concept of freedom. But but the concept of, of divine decrees in itself doesn't necessarily commit you to that. Uh, Arminius has a whole doctrine of the doctrine of divine decrees. You know, you'll read page after page of his his view. So I, I found that very curious. It was actually you know, very curious. Actually, you know, Abraham speaks to this. William Abraham speaks yeah. to this in his book that I was sharing earlier about how Wesley was actually a, a big proponent of providence that God does speak into, you know, from the very creation. And um, uh, I can't, I can't find the actual uh, link or not link, but the, uh, the uh, footnote or whatever it is I'm looking for. Um, but I think it was William Abraham. I could be wrong on this reference, but I think it's William Abraham. It talks about um, uh, it's not really a free, it's not a, um, a, a free will that, we have, but it's a freed will that yeah. God grants us. And so in that, there is this sense of sovereignty of God and that God decrees these things upon us. I mean, even the idea of, pre, uh, of, of prevenient grace, which is this beautiful Wesleyan thing, prevenient grace is an irresistible grace, right. which right. is also a Calvinistic type of teaching. So mm. I've um, got a pretty... Uh, basic hypothesis of why these two questions were stricken. Yes. What? All right. Bear with me. This is, I've got a lot of education behind this. <laughs> these are the only two questions in the Wesley's revision of the, well, in the shorter catechism that don't have scripture references. Interesting. Yeah. They, they, they are, they the are only two questions that don't have scripture proofs. In fact, uh, McDonald who wrote the notes at the end of this wonderful book that we're using, y'all should take a look at it. Product humans. Um, he notes that decrees are not mentioned so much in scripture. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, when you take the idea of God decreeing everything from before creation, mm -hmm. and then you look at what would typically be associated with that, things like election in Ephesians and uh, predestined, uh, that Wesley understood it very differently. And in fact, a lot of uh, church histories understood it differently than right. the individual predestining to salvation, especially right. when you consider that Ephesians 1, which talks about that, uh, is addressed to a group. Um, so my hypothesis uh, to really make this super simple is that Wesley struck it because they're the only two that don't have scriptural backing. And he was, after all, a man of one book. Actually, William Abraham might agree with you because in his book, one more time, he yes! talks about how Wesley— I love it when you tell me I'm right. <laughs> for all Wesley would do, he would. Uh, Abraham points out that Wesley would stick to the text, talking about scripture. Like mm. he, he was, he was, that was a, a goal of his, is always to stick to the text itself. So what? So what is it? So the McDonald guy says 
this doesn't have scriptural warrant. The, the, the catechism, does it have scriptures typically attached to the articles? Yeah, That's, so yeah. each one has scriptural proofs. But this um, one has no scriptural Sometimes they're questionable, proof. but... Right. Um, but this one has yeah. no scriptural proof. Right. right. Neither of the uh, questions. There's actually a few other questions. I'm just looking real quick. There's a few other question, um, um, questions that don't have scripture proofs, but those are also stricken through. They are. Okay. So your hypothesis about, may be correct. I thought Alan was about to come and sweep the leg. <laughs> no, I, I, I would have loved to have done that, Jim. But I, but I, I like Danny LaRusso, that. gave him the high kick. <laughs> Give him the crane, Danny boy. Actually, Give him the crane. if I'd seen that, that uh, the other ones were still uh, still in there, I, 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 I would have kept quiet. But uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I, I wanted to build you up, Jim. So, yeah. So it looks like the other ones that also did not have scriptural proofs were, were stricken through, too, which is very That's interesting. It says, maybe says a lot about Wesley. So That's got to be the answer. So. Yeah. What I would love um, is, is there a way, since we're on the absolute basics train here of like really trying to distill something, do you think we could distill for our potic humans what the term, the decrees of God would refer to other than it's about predestination? Just that's a yeah, good question in a quick word. So does one of y'all have that? I can do it. Uh, oh, I, can, I would love that. <laughs> I can tell you what, Such when I talk fan. about this with my, uh, with my, with my students at the seminary, I don't, we don't talk about the decrees, but the basic idea is the concept of the decrees arises. It's very prominent in Protestant theology, um, starting with Calvin and especially in the scholasticism that someone like Arminius will write. Mm -hmm. After the Reformation, you have all these competing catechisms, right? Uh, confessions, you have all these confessional statements. There are all these different Protestants wandering around. And, and what, what, the theolo what theologians start doing is developing theologies that unpack the particular confession of Lutheranism, of mm. Calvinism, of, of the Anglican Church of England, Wesley is a part of. And so the doctrine of the divine decrees emerges and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over time. But the basic idea is quite simple, actually, I think. It's sort of like this. If you look around you in the world and you see all these different events happening, right? So, uh, for instance, I drop my cup on the ground and it falls and hits, right? My cup acts in a certain sense, but obviously that's a, not a good analogy for how God acts, right? Mm. Um, it's not necessary in that way. It just has no motion. Neither is my dog really, right? So my dog Merle, he is sort of not very bright and he'll eat almost anything you put in front of him, right? <laughs> Especially if it's like a dog treat. Sounds um, like a Merle. Yeah, he does sound like a Merle, doesn't he? Merle will eat anything. So if I if I put a dog biscuit in front of him, he'll eat it. And then if I put another one in front of him, he'll eat that also. And then on and on and on until he vomits probably, and then he'll probably lap up the vomit, knowing Merle. Uh, sorry for the disgusting analogy, but Proverbs, why does he man. do that? It's because right the way that's the way dogs are, right? That's how they act. They just they have this instinct, this natural sort of pattern. You present them. That's how you that's how you train them. You know. But that's not how God acts either, right? You don't just present God with something he wants and he can't resist grabbing after it. That's not a good metaphor. Instead, it seems that the best metaphor among all the things in the world that we know of for how God acts are people, are people, are persons, you know, like you and I, or if you believe in angels. And we act with freedom. We deliberate and then we make decisions. Um, and those are kind of like decrees in our mind, right? Right. Um, sort of, okay, I'm always going to be faithful to my wife. Right? That's... That's a justice decree, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and I try to live and act on the basis of that decree. And so I think the decree language is just a way to try to conceive of divine, the way God acts in a way that's consistent with the most 
the 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 best sort of actor that we know of, which is you and I, right? So that's all that's all I take from decree language. So of course God acts with freedom, like you and me. Um, although God's freedom is different in certain ways, so the decree language gets kind of tricky. But I think that's basically what we're talking about when we say that that there are divine decrees. There's decision. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, discussion about sovereignty and how human freedom somehow threatens God's ability to still be sovereign and providential. And so you start adding all of that into, you know, the word decree has a powerful force to it because kings make decrees and uh, governments make decrees. And so we get all wrapped up, I think, in our current uh, theological world about, well, if God's decrees aren't completely sovereign and true and we have any agency, then we make less of God, and then we get soft on sin and uh, God's justice. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things can co they can they can all be true. Yeah, God and, can and, decree we have freedom, for instance, right? Well, and that's oh. what Wesley gets. <laughs> well, at. I think yeah. you just completely like that's the logical uh, thrust. You have won the day on that one. <laughs> and and that's what Wesley. So that's the thing about Wesley here. This whole thing with him and Whitfield was an interesting piece that it would cause them to separate for so long because they were probably a lot closer in their theological thinking. We know they were, I mean, they went, to, they, they were, they knew each other so very well. Interestingly enough, they would come back together. There would be a redemption and a reconciliation that would take place, and it would be Wesley who would be preaching Whitfield's funeral. And wasn't it Whitfield uh, who said that Wesley was, um, Sort of had had the better route, especially with small groups and in class meetings and yeah. and the, the organizing of. I forgot that I can't think of the quote that Whitfield had, but it was uh, it was basically he was given Wesley due. Um, yeah, you know Whitfield could preach a heck of a sermon, um, but Wesley had formed the church into these class meetings, right? To where you know they would grow in sanctification and continue right. in their in their relationship with God. So the story goes that Whitfield said he had built ropes of sand. When that's they- right. There that's you go. it. There yeah, you that's go. It. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> but isn't that so like, isn't that arresting today? Um, well, I don't know what y'all's experience is like, but you know, I came into faith and came into a call to ministry right at the purpose driven moment where, and right at the big numbers moment where everything needed to be big and everybody, uh, you would justify your uh, effectiveness in ministry by this this stuff. And here you see in the past, a man who, who has a lifetime of wisdom in George Whitfield saying, I got numbers and preached to thousands. And what did I do but make ropes of sand, which, which would mean they can't hold weight, they fall apart. You would bring people close to the fire and they would go, and then you watch somebody um, with a, sec- a, a second gifting like Wesley, who would take what could have been a fatal flaw, which was method and organization, and transform that into something that could capture mm-hmm. the power. And if I and I'm thinking about what what am I looking for in ministry in the church? If I'm feeding me, I want thousands. Mm. But if I'm trying to build the church, then I want ropes that are strong. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like that's that's a convicting thought, I think, for the church today. Sure. We're not it talking about the basics of the Whitfieldian way. 
<laughs> right. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. No, I, I think that's I think that's right on, Jim. And um, so I had a thought here, and it just it left me. <laughs> Dangerous. Gone. Like ropes of sand. Just, just like ropes of sand. That thought just like left ropes of and sand. Fell. So are the thoughts of Brett's Brett. brain. <laughs> um, so we'll, here's here's a connecting fact. Did you find your thought? Uh, no, go ahead, Jim, and I'll see. this if we have to. Here's a connecting thought between the conversation of the catechism and I think a line that from the absolute basics of the Wesleyan way that actually made me stop and lean back in my chair. So. In the catechism, um, the notes, uh, rightly or wrongly, McDonald quotes another pastor who says that Wesley's teaching was founded more on the fatherhood than the sovereignty of God, more on the paternal than the mere governmental relation of God to all men. And I think that there's something there. It doesn't say that Wesley didn't believe in God's sovereignty, but that there was something about the relationship and the family uh, of God that was important. In fact, McDonald would say that instead of uh, just a governmental decreeing authority, um, that Wesley would become an apostle of the fatherhood, a preacher of God's love to all men and of Christ's death as an atonement to all men, um, of life as an education and not a trial. Um, mm. And there's a line, and that's that is in McDonald's explanation of why Wesley struck this. Now, this line in Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith Wesley stopped me in my tracks. Wesley and Wave. Yes, thank you. Goodness. It says that Wesley quit being a servant in the house of God and became a child in his father's home. Mm-hmm. That might just be me that it struck. Yeah, but no, Justice, I'm... can you speak to that? Yeah, when I, yeah, exactly right. When I was writing that, that bit I was thinking about, I think this is in the Scripture Way of Salvation, uh, Wesley's sermon, one of his famous sermons, the Scripture Way of Salvation, where he talks about having the faith, and he does this a couple of different places, about having the faith of a servant and the faith of a child. Right. Okay, this image of being having the faith of a servant and faith of a child. And that's exactly, that was the image we, we really, we, we pulled that one, we pulled on that image pretty hard. Actually, a lot of our key images are, are straight out of Wesley's sermons. Um, and I think that that image really does capture the the difference um, that Wesley wanted us to have in our relationship with God. It's what I like about Wesley's language there is being the having the faith of a servant is a type of faith. You know, you can you can relate to God as Lord, and God is your Lord, yes. um, and and uh, and Christ. You know, Lord Jesus Christ is the oldest confession of the church in a certain way um, and and historic, but. But God wants to also um, bring you into the family. That's why Jesus teaches us the prayer, our Father. Right. And um, his purpose is to reconcile us to, to the Father. Right. The Spirit is sent. The mission of the Spirit is sent to us in order to unite us to the Son and thereby to reconcile us as adopted children to the Father. And so, yeah, I think that really, that image really works. Wesley was great on that. And I'll just give him all the credit for it. I just, that's all I was pulling on there was Wesley. <laughs> See, I, awesome. I, I, I love, I love that. And um, I even remember reading in one of his journals. So he would bring that up in his sermons, but even in one of his journals that I had the faith of a son, a child and not the faith of a servant. Anymore. Well, that, is, was, yeah. 
yeah, was it was was it Wesley or somebody else after him? The whole idea of you know talking about um, God's grace and provenient grace and say justifying say the porch the uh, the porch is provenient grace. That was Wesley, door, yeah. Yeah, the door is justifying grace and coming into the house, and then sanctification is living in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's all this um, familial, this down home, this relational language, which I mean, I'm not the brightest um bulb in the in the pack so i mean it, it um it brings it home all of it brings it home i, I you know i read the same thing about the, the mcdonald uh talking about the wesleyan fatherhood and um it just brings it home it's mm-hmm. uh it's a it's a wonderful way to talk about our relationship with god and and which i think feeds into the whole uh you know class meetings and bands and building relationships with one another um it is about relationships. So there's a different, there's a different way in which now that we're thinking about this, the, so my children, I want my sons, uh, they have to obey me. Otherwise everything's going to, going to go, go badly. So my children have to, have to obey um, my wife and I. And so there's a sense in which, but they're not my servants, you know, and what's the difference, you know, they, they, in a deeper way, I want my children to kind of take on my own mind and to come in and to understand mm-hmm. uh, the goods that that I would have for them and the values of our family. And then someday they can take on that mantle and order their own families in the same way. Um, there's a different way of relating to your your, your good father, if, you have, if you're blessed with a good yeah. father, mm-hmm. um, then, then, then your Lord and master, you know. Yeah. Potecumens out there, I hope you heard that. I, I really do, because... I mean, that's what discipleship is at home. If you're, if you've got kids, um, if, if you're, if you're married, um, but if you've got kids and you're passing on that faith and justice, I love that image there. I, I want them to take on my mind. The um, good parts of our minds. Though. The good, well, of course, but, <laughs> but you know, that's a very biblical, like you, you think yeah. about what in Philippians two, what uh, Paul, yeah, the mind have the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus have it. And so we're passing this on, and you see this even in the Old Testament with the uh, in, in the Shema. Yes, yes, uh, Jim, I bring it back up again. I bring it's, the Shema it's your life every verse. The Shema it's your is, life verse. It's yeah. Brett's life verse. It's the official it's verse tattoo. of the Potakesis podcast. If you ever see him at the beach, you'll see the tattoo of the Shema across his entire back <laughs> in Hebrew. So um, uh, we're not going. <laughs> That got Jim. I think, there's a, I think there's a tattoo parlor that only does that tattoo at every seminary. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes quite a living. Second year Hebrew students get it, so that's what ends up happening. So, um, uh, so, um, but you get that, you know, you teach it to your children, you're passing it along, and it's becoming a real, real thing mm. to them. One of the most uh, uh, just fascinating things I saw when I was in the Holy Land a couple of years ago was at the at the uh, Wailing Wall. Um, they, there were, there were, um, young men, there was a, there were some bar, bar mitzvahs going on there at the wailing wall mm-hmm. and you had these kids putting on the phylacteries and, and, and tying things to their arms and their heads and doing, and, and what they're doing with their dad standing there is they're, who are doing the same thing. They're copying, they're, they're mm-hmm. do they're, they're, this is how you do it. This is the tradition. Here's the tradition. And, um, man, if parents, uh, would get back into, well, if the parents have these heart transformational moments in their lives through Christ, then they can pass that on to their children and to their children's children and to their, you know, um, I'm a first generation Christian in my family. Same here. 
And, you know, that, that there's a, you know, I talk, you know, we have a lot of addiction. I've told this in this podcast before, but a lot of addiction in my family. And I, and I see my, my place as the stop, as the breaking point of that addiction. But I also see it as the starting point of passing on the faith. Yeah. And uh, which is just, I mean, these catechism type conversations that the whole podcast is built off that you mentioned that the absolute basics of the Wesleyan way is a catechetical tool. That's powerful stuff. It's, it's in order to help form people that they might become children of God through Christ. Right. That's why I'm so excited about it. And I love that. Hey, we're going to, we got a, several more questions that are we stricken through. So we get to talk more and more about Wesley, right? Yeah, so exactly. that's right. It's, it's going to be awesome. Hey, I, I wonder, um, just a quick question, Justice, since we have you here, uh, you teach in the seminary. You believe, you must believe that the church has something to say today. Mm-hmm. What do you, do you have a, a, a way of describing to us what you think that Wesleyanism brings wesleyan way of following christ has to bring to the world today yeah that's a great question um one thing i one thing i've i've told someone in my band meeting actually um you know wesleyan historic bands are part of our part of our practice and uh, my uh, band is called Shifting Shadows, but you're talking about an actual <laughs> fellowship right. band. Okay. Like a vast yeah. fellowship bands, right? We get together and we confess our sins to one another, mm. um, uh, and and share, you know, not just what sins we 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 enacted, but those which we were tempted to, you know, mm-hmm. as best we can we can recall. There's some great resources from Seedbed on this uh, a book yeah, on the band meeting, and so I remember talking to one of my afterwards about about what it means, what's really distinctive about the Wesleyan way with my, with my bandmate, my whatever fellow band member. And, <laughs> and I, and I thought, you know, the thing that's really dis- one thing that's really distinctive about us is that yes, we this tradition that we, you know, we baptize our, our infants and, and, and I'm United Methodist. We baptize our infants, um, which sort of is kind of, you know, very classical Christian practice. It also is really, I think for us, what, what's important for us about that is that, it makes a clear statement about who the primary actor is in salvation. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a constant reminder to us of that fact yes. that we're all infants before the grace of God. Oh. And, and so we have this practice, but coupled with that, we also have this practice. And I grew up, uh, my father was a free Methodist pastor for, for to my childhood. And that, so I grew up in this holiness tradition. We also have this practice of sort of, you know, lingering at the altar Mm-hmm. And expecting God to um, to sanctify us there, right? And that's really peculiar. Okay, that's a really peculiar view of Christianity. And we have these two key moments and key practices in our tradition that hold us in this space where, yes, God comes to you independent of you, but God's not done with you once God starts. God's going to bring you all the way into full likeness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And even now, God wants to do that. So submit to the will of God and um, and and permit the spirit to transform you. That is, I don't really um, see a lot of that, at least in sort of the gen- general view of Christianity in Protestant America, especially. Yeah. It, it, it's a, you know, get your ticket punch type thing and you're done with it, but. Yeah. Or, or build my organization for me. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> I think the whole process of sanctification, I mean, that is um, being made holy on our way to perfection. Um is 
the distinctive, one of the distinctives, if not the distinctive of Methodism that we do not see today. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, Ooh, infant baptism, have mercy. It's, yeah, I know, right? Well, it's 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 a lot of weight to carry. Isn't it easier to say I'm not perfect, just forgiven? Yes. Um, right. And then to throw away a theology of perfection because it's very heavy. Right. Um, now, just I mean, one one of the ahead. most one of the most kind of controversial things for Wesley to teach is the idea that we can be perfect, you know, in this life. Like it can be. You just through- need to read First John to figure that out, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Justice, would you say that your band meeting has been and helpful to? Am I allowed to ask? Just helpful yeah. to your faith formation? Uh, essential, yeah, essential, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, confession practice is is essential to Christianity. It's helped me to understand, and that's why I actually had a, had a long treatment of repentance in this book is because over time I've come mm-hmm. to understand what Wesley saw. And Wesley talks about this repentance before justifying grace, before you're sort of, you got saved as we talked talk about that, you repent before that. But then the entire Christian life from that mm-hmm. point forward is a path of repentance. Yeah. And that's what the band meetings really are about is yeah. in living out and recognizing. It's like a, like an onion. Sin is like the, like a, like peels of an onion. You just keep peeling it off and the, and you realize the scent is stronger and stronger and stronger. And it turns out, so much of our lives, we have a hard time seeing the depth of sin. Um, and mm. that was kind of what Wesley wanted to show us, I think, right. and why repentance shows up over and over again. Again, in scripture, it's, way it's almost like we need a double cure. Yeah. <laughs> Repent of our sin to get down to the core of our sin, yeah. Yeah. which is a Wesleyan uh, phrase for those of you wondering why I brought that up. The onion, the, the, the onion wasn't in the book, but it should be. Oh, the onion, you need the onion. That'll be the second edition. (laughs) I always talk about the onion when I'm teaching monasticism to my church history. There you go. There you go. Um, I am, go ahead if you have. No, go ahead, Jim. I am so thankful. Um, What I've noticed is a lack of Wesleyan, Arminian, Methodist resources that, that go in this route um, thank, I want to thank you and Phil both and everybody involved in the project, uh, for helping when you see this, when you got, when it, when this project is released and you all get your hands on it, you're going to see that it's not like, let's try to make an old man entertaining. This mm-hmm. is absolutely, uh, riveting, enlivening stuff to teach ourselves, our churches, our children, and in a highly engaging and memorable way. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you, Justice, and Phil for taking that on. And anybody else that's out there listening, the church needs Wesleyan content. Yeah. Wesleyan content. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid. Um, if you feel the least bit called, trust me, if it's not good, we won't buy it. But if it's not out there, <laughs> but listen, if it's not out there, we won't buy it either. Right. Yeah. So I'm just so grateful. Um, I am going to probably, I'm going to make my kids watch it. I'm going to make my church watch it. I'm going to make my neighbor watch it. <laughs> the videos are cool. You guys, you guys will like them. The, oh, the animation's so a little tough. different. That's what I'm most looking forward to. I mean, no, no I mean, the <laughs> writing's great. The writing's great. I like pictures. Yeah. They're nice. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, you know, in the prior one, the, 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 they did kind of a, a still shot of the artist drawing, which I actually love that, that look. It was yeah, very difficult though because the artist is left-handed, and so the you know the angles were all funky. Yeah. Um, but this time we ended, ended up using like an iPad and screen capture, oh, and so it's all nice. it's all um, it all sort of just emerges on the screen. I think it I think it looks pretty slick. Gives it a little different look. It's very watchable, um, and and actually the artist, but we kept the same artist. 
So yeah, that, yeah so nice. Be the same. Andrew Chandler, he's phenomenal. And, oh, and he has a deep Christian faith, so he can kind of he can kind of get his head into these uh, into these images. So we've been really we're really happy and excited to, to release that. Um, as we're coming to the close now of this episode, I do want to just say one thing uh, out of this. And Jim, I, I love what you're saying about the the material that's out there and the need for more material justice. I, I echo everything Jim had said. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thank you to Phil for the absolute basis of the Christian faith. Thank you to you and him for this Wesleyan resource that is very, very important for, I think, an emerging, an emerging new Wesleyanism yeah. uh, movement within the world nowadays. And that's going to, that is pretty powerful and I'm excited about. We're going to need these catechetical ideas, these resources in hand, um, because um, I do believe a new Methodism is going to need strong catechism um, and catechesis, I should say, uh, to that. And um, I would also say, friends um, out there, if you've got Calvinist brothers um, uh, around you who are friends of yours or that you're around, um, listen, don't, don't, don't push them off. Don't think they're completely different than you. Um, no. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy is when friends of mine will just say, well, that's just a Baptist way, or that's just a thing over yeah. here. Uh, we are all part of a grand tradition of lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ, and Amen. we're probably a lot closer than we think in the way we think, and so, um, and the way we do ministry. And so, um, it's time for us in a new day um, in a new day to stop saying we're different, we're to stop saying, well, that's what they do. And to start saying, what can we do for God's kingdom and to spread God's kingdom here in our communities and around the world. So, uh, that was just my closing thought on this. Uh, uh, we've got question nine coming up in a couple of weeks. Question nine of the Westminster catechism will be what is the work of creation? And so we'll be talking about, uh, creation and why, um, uh, why Jim still believes in a flat earth. We need, do need to, we do need to, uh, we do need to have some talk there, Jim, on, on that and, um, and figure that whole thing out. So um, I don't know if the people listening think this is a joke or not. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to mute myself. I was laughing so hard. He wasn't ready for that one. So anyway, what is the work of creation is coming up. Uh, Dr. Justice Hunter, we are so grateful to have had you um, on the Podakesis podcast. Once again, um, absolute basics of the Wesleyan way you and Phil Talon um, have authored this great resource that'll be out in the fall and is produced by Seedbed. And you can check that out at seedbed.com and all their other grand resources. Um, Justice, how can people find you out in the world? Yeah, you can you can just type my name. It's Justice, but J-U-S-T-U-S, hmm. Hunter. And uh, that's my that's my Twitter handle also, at J-U-S-T-U-S, Hunter is my Twitter handle. You can follow me there. I goof around a little bit. You can ask me, you know, whatever you like. And I, uh, as long as I don't have too many kids hanging off me, I'll usually respond. Um, or you can just, you know, Google me and you'll find my academic web page. You can send me an email and I try to try to reply. I, I will say, and he's being very humble. He is a fantastic Twitter follow. A fantastic <laughs> yeah, Twitter he follow. Yeah, he, is. Um, he puts out some really good stuff, um, sometimes provocative theologically. Um, I think uh, today I was reading a thread that he had put in, put out uh, about um about uh, going to meetings and stuff like that. And, how that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and that, that started a thread that was really, uh, really interesting. So, um, uh, but anyway, he's a fantastic Twitter follow, followers, uh, follow, especially if you're 
um, a follower of Christ. He puts out some really good stuff out there for us to, to follow, and it's good. So yeah. thank you, Justice, for being with us and uh, for just blessing us with, um, with, with, with being here on the podcast. Absolutely. So, uh, friends, we're going to go ahead and to cue the music up, and we're going to go ahead and start uh, ending this thing. You can follow and find the Podakesis podcast at Podakesis on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, podakesis.com. You can go to our website, see where you can find us all over the place, and we are literally everywhere. Oh, and we got a special announcement. What? This is a This is a special. awesome, awesome thing. Y'all need to know this. Not only are we everywhere, but we're really now everywhere because now we have a YouTube, YouTube. YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube. How do you find us? Just type in the Podakesis podcast in that search bar. Subscribe to us. Let us know that you love us. Right now, what you're going to find are the uh, the um, just the, the, the podcast episodes itself with some really cool animation stuff that Jim Morrow had put together. And thank you, Woo! Jim, for doing that. Yes, that's right. I'm giving him the credit on this one. And so uh, you'll find that. But soon, I don't want to say too much about this, but soon in the future, we may have some real special stuff going up on the YouTube uh, channel. Maybe some sort of live interaction with us. I don't know. I don't want to say too I'm much so about this. I'm so excited about that. Oh, YouTube. it's going to be fun. So anyway, uh, YouTube, Podakesis, uh, the Podakesis podcast, but you can find us on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere. Tell your friends, tell your family, go out onto the rooftop, shout it out, the Podakesis podcast, let everybody know about it. We are the best catechesis podcast for Methodist Wesleyans in the world. So, at least in Georgia. That's right. Oh, and, and at least in Georgia, yes. Perhaps and the South, only. And in South Georgia. And uh, really, yes. Yeah. And um, also, if you really do love us, if you really do love us. Oh, here he goes. Yes, if you really do goes, love Alan. us, you, you'll help us. Justice, we, I apologize. We, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we need that help. We need you to go on Apple uh, on, on the Apple podcast and hit Should they leave one stars. star? Should they leave hit, one star? No one star, stars. no two, not three. Three stars? No. Nope. But four? No. Five. five stars. I need you to give that five-star review. That helps us on Apple to push us up in the um, Apple podcast place, and, and that would be good. So thank you for all you do. We uh, we appreciate the Podakesis community, and uh, we look forward to bringing another episode to you in a couple of weeks as we deal with question number nine, what is the work of creation? Until then, thank you for joining us on the Podakesis podcast. Y'all have a good day.